Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to award-winning Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old-school basketball to a new-school audience. And today we bring you the story of the time that Larry Bird played a game left-handed. Of course, just so that I am perfectly clear, Larry Bird is right-handed, but sometimes he needed an extra challenge to stay mentally engaged with the game. He sometimes got bored with destroying other teams. One time, the Celtics were playing against Manute Bull, who was 7'7", seven seven, or 231 centimeters, and Bird thought that Bull would make a good challenge. Bull was, and still is, the tallest player to ever play in the NBA. He was later tied by George Mirasan as the two tallest players in league history. But anyway, Bird thought that it would be fun to have all of the Celtics players put $100 into a pot and the winner of the money would be the first player who could block Manute Bull's shot. Bull was never a great scorer. As a rookie, he only took 3.5 shots per game, so he did not give other players that many opportunities to block a shot. But when he had the ball, the Celtics swarmed him like he was Wilt Chamberlain. They all wanted to get a block on Manute Bull and collect the $1,200. The first time they played, nobody got a block on him. So the money carried over to the next time they played Bull, who was on the Washington Bullets, by the way. After a few games, eventually Kevin McHale got the block of Manute Bull and collected the pot of cash. These were the kinds of things that Larry Bird would introduce to keep his teammates' attention. So let me give you a bit of context on this. This was the 1985-86 season. The Celtics had lost the NBA Finals the year before to the LA Lakers and they were laser focused on getting back into the Finals and winning another title. Losing the Finals left a bad taste in their mouth. That year, they had four returning future Hall of Fame players. They had Larry Bird, of course, at small forward. They were also returning Dennis Johnson at the point guard, Robert Parrish at center, and Kevin McHale at power forward. They also had a couple of other really smart players in their team. They had Rick Carlisle, who is currently the coach of the Indiana Pacers and won a championship as the coach of the Dallas Mavericks in 2011. They also had Danny Ainge as the starting shooting guard, who ran the Celtics for years as their general manager and won the championship in 2008. Ainge now runs the Utah Jazz. But 1986 was a year that they added one more really big piece. They added future Hall of Famer Bill Walton. And he was the grease that made everything run smoothly. Bringing Bill Walton was a risk because he had already missed so many games due to foot and ankle injuries over his career. And I talked about those injuries way back in episode 12, if you want to go back and check out that episode. But 1986 turned out to be Walton's healthiest season of basketball. He played in 80 out of 82 games that season. That was by far the most games he ever played in one year. In other words, the 1986 Celtics added a healthy Bill Walton to the mix as probably the greatest sixth man this side of John Havlicek. The Celtics were just destroying teams right and left. 
That Celtics team still holds the record for winning 40 out of 41 home games for the year. No other team in history has ever won that many of their home games. So for the left-handed game, the Celtics were on a West Coast road trip. Now back then, the NBA used to send teams on these really long road trips where they had to play teams from the opposite conference. The NBA only had 23 teams back then, 12 teams in the Eastern Conference and 11 teams in the Western Conference. So they figured that every team could play all of those away games in just two trips. That means that every team had to make two trips of at least six games in length and sometimes even seven if they threw in some road games from their own conference. Today, the NBA limits all road trips to just five games maximum. So anyway, the Celtics were in the middle of a two-week-long, seven-game road trip to the West Coast. They had already played the Sacramento Kings and Seattle Supersonics on this trip. Their next game was going to be against the Portland Trailblazers. Heading into that game against the Blazers, the Celtics had a record of 39 wins and just nine losses. They had the best record in the league, and Larry Bird was getting bored. During the post-game press conference after the Supersonics game, he told reporters that he was going to play the next game against the Blazers left-handed. And just to clarify, he said that he would play left-handed through at least three quarters. He would switch back to his right hand if the game was close in the fourth quarter. In preparing for this episode, I watched a bunch of highlights from that game and he was shooting almost everything left-handed. Thing, but almost everything. No player just starts shooting long jump shots with their opposite hand unless their name was Kobe Bryant, who once made a three-pointer with his left hand when he was dealing with a right hand injury. Now this is a good place to take a break, and I'll be right back with the details of the actual game right after this. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One Gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of you unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876 including t-shirts long sleeve shirts phone cases mugs blankets pillows towels and even shower curtains go to sportshistorynetwork.com row number one for access to the full row one catalog and for gallery prints and gift items plus get a 15 percent discount off all prints on the row one pictorum gallery with coupon code shn15 follow the link on the show notes Welcome back to the show and let us continue with the story of the game where Larry Bird played left-handed. The date was February 14, 1986, Valentine's Day. The game was in the Memorial Coliseum in Portland, Oregon. He opened the game focused on taking shots from within the paint that would allow him to shoot left-handed but still have a high percentage of making those shots. He made left-handed hook shots, shot left-handed runners, and left-handed layups. What he did was absolutely incredible. Now, it was not like the Trailblazers were a bunch of slouches. Going into that game, they were playing just above 500 with a record of 29 and 26, and they had a group of some really good players. They had Kiki Vandeweghe, who scored 38 points in this game for the Blazers and was one of the great scorers in the NBA. They also had Jerome Kersey, Terry Porter, and Clyde Drexler. Those last three guys were the core of the Blazers team that would go to the NBA Finals in 
1990 and 1992. And just like every other team, they had absolutely no answer for Larry Bird. He had about as many shots in his bag of tricks as any player who ever came along in the NBA. As I mentioned before, he was hitting layups, runners, hook shots, he even had a left-handed dunk. But as I said, he did not shoot every shot left-handed. He took his long jump shots with his right hand, which makes sense because in the heat of the moment, players are going to shoot the ball the same way that they have been practicing thousands and thousands of times. Larry Bird was really filling it up as his point total got into the 30s and then into the 40s. The Blazers hung in there and battled with all that they had. Mostly, it was Vandeweghe who kept the Blazers in it. You may not be familiar with Kiki Vandeweghe, but back in the 1980s, he was almost as unstoppable as Larry Bird. Believe it. At the end of the fourth quarter, the Celtics were down 107-109 to and they needed a basket to send this game into overtime. With around 10 seconds left in the game, Dennis Johnson was bringing the ball up the right side very quickly to give his team a chance to tie the game. From the right corner, he swung the ball to Larry Bird on the wing, but Jerome Kersey was playing Larry Bird tightly at the three-point line. Bird was not going to be able to shoot the three for the win. He fakes right and gets Kersey off balance and then drove to the basket left-handed, yes, left-handed, and then he stops at the free-throw line and shot the ball with his right hand to tie the game with just six seconds left. When he talked to the reporters the night before in Seattle, he said that he would use his right hand if the game was close in the fourth quarter. So he gave himself that out. So he was definitely taking that last shot to tie the game with his right hand. There was no time for messing around. And even though Larry Bird liked playing these little games within the game in order to keep himself motivated, nothing ever came before getting the win. The victory was always the most important thing to players like Larry Bird. The Celtics and the Trailblazers went into overtime, and the game was very close the whole way. The Celtics ended up winning the game by a score of 120-119. to Larry Bird finished with a game-leading 47 points in 49 minutes of action. He only sat for three minutes of the entire game, but that was Larry Bird. They got the win, and they flew down to Los Angeles where they would play the Lakers just two nights later. Larry Bird played that game right-handed. He was not going to mess around when facing Magic Johnson. Facing the Lakers was all the motivation that he needed, and the Celtics won that game too. It was just an incredible performance in Portland that night. That is why I consider Larry Bird to be one of the top 10 players in NBA history. Now, I'm not completely sure where I place him within the top 10, but for sure, he is in the top 10. The Celtics were so good that year that Larry Bird still jokes that the 1986 Celtics were the best team he ever played on, and that includes the 1992 Olympic Dream Team when he played with Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, and Charles Barkley. The Celtics completely dominated the playoffs that year. They lost only one game on their way to winning the Eastern Conference. In the finals, they faced the Houston Rockets, who did not have the necessary experience to take on a team like the Celtics. The Celtics won the series four games to two and clinched Larry Bird's third championship of his career and the 16th overall championship in Celtics team history. And remember that this game against the Trailblazers was a game where Bird was challenging himself for fun. You did not want to face Larry Bird after trash-talking him. He was as tough as Michael Jordan when you trash-talked him. Well, that's it for today. Join us next time when we share a profile on the highest-scoring twins in NBA history. They are Tom and Dick Van Arsdale. Together, they scored nearly 30,000 points in their NBA careers, way more than any other set of twins in league history. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts, and check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. 
I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories of the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.